You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. Season 7, Water Cooler Conversations. Now, today's podcast is a lengthy one, and I was going to apologise because it's the longest conversation I've ever recorded, but it's such a good conversation that editing it down would just completely ruin it. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Susie Bashford. Susie and I met through her podcast, Big Juicy Creative, which I highly recommend you check out as there are some incredible topics that Susie covers and it's just really good fun. Susie is a writer, speaker and podcaster living a big juicy creative life in the Carngorms. If you don't follow Susie already on LinkedIn, it's a must. Susie is one of my favourite people to follow as she's always posting about her adventures and sharing thought-provoking conversation starters. Nothing boring, nothing salesy, just pure human fun content. Today on the podcast, Susie and I cover a range of topics. We start on the topic of creative cultures and how many corporates want super creative people but then don't know how to support their creativity. And we also cover a lot about life and its influences on our work. Just a heads up, this podcast does include explicit language and content around mental health that may trigger you. For support, I've added some helplines in the show notes should you need to speak to someone about anything we've covered today. So with all that cleared up, I hope you're sitting somewhere comfortable because it's about to get juicy. Hi Susie and welcome to the Make It Thrive podcast. It's so good to have you on. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> now I've already been on your podcast um, you and so this time we're flipping the roles and, and I'm talking to you instead. I know and I remember your podcast very well. We had such a fun conversation and you're in encouraging me to be rebellious and cause some good trouble particularly on LinkedIn and I hope you've seen on LinkedIn that I have taken your advice and I've been quite rebellious on LinkedIn recently so thank you you have been been my favorite person to follow (laughs) on LinkedIn and that is saying something because I like we had the conversation on your podcast about Mm. how much I kind of detest LinkedIn yes and it's like I see that see it as this kind of necessary evil yes and your posts have been literally the highlight of me actually going on that platform so thank you so much but you you say that but your content is really good too we'll have a mutual love in here but (laughs) um I actually I had all these ideas in my head about LinkedIn oh it's boring it's full of middle-aged white men venting their egos and I thought oh I'm getting quite upset about this so I pitched it to a women's magazine the flock And then I I got a commission to research this very point. And that was partly inspired by you, Lizzie, because of this idea, this conversation we had. And I have found, like most things in life, the more you put in, 
the more you get out. And actually, LinkedIn is not as boring as I thought. I've had actually a lot of fun. Have you not had any more fun since we last spoke on LinkedIn then? Do you know what? You've actually inspired me to take it a bit more seriously. <laughs> so actually, you have, again, with the loving, um, you've inspired me. So recently, I've been on a few different things. Um, so I follow um, Joe Glover, who runs a great event called The Marketing Meetup. Um, and he oh, does yes, some... I came across that. He's super lovely. And he does the most amazing webinars. And Oh, I came across Beth Collier did an uh, event with... Uh, him and she's a creativity campaigner she was brilliant yes that's a good tip yes yeah so I highly recommend anyone who is trying to kind of find their love of LinkedIn um, go and watch the webinar because um, he did a great panel webinar on LinkedIn and you know what it was really refreshing because he had three different people who all use it very differently and just totally inspired me and made me think differently um, along with yourself so I've kind of started to, I've, I've kind of removed people from my sort of connections who are just like, you know, like, let's be honest, there's always someone who just basically wants to say the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. Do you know what? There's a name I, I, and um, I'm not saying they're all men, but there is a name <laughs> for them. And the, the, one of my um, contacts had, and, and she calls them reply guys. They're always the reply guys there with the quick reply questioning. Yeah. And I have to say like the, the, the reason I feel so passionate about women particularly being on LinkedIn and having a professional voice and saying stuff is um, obviously COVID has damaged so many female careers and LinkedIn Mm -hmm. is the professional network. Now, what I find so interesting is intelligent, outgoing women like you with lots to say have this feeling about LinkedIn. I have this feeling about LinkedIn and I'm pretty much been quite out there on LinkedIn recently. Like uh, I think my most viewed post was the one about masturbation, which was I had Genevieve Lejeune on my podcast talking all about the link between sex and creativity. And she suggested in this podcast a 4pm masturbation break for productivity and she swears by it, says it's amazing, says, you know, it really uh, gets her going for the afternoon and she's much more productive. So I I (laughs) used that as an inspiration for a post and got loads and loads of comments. But I also got loads of DMs from women saying, oh my goodness, I can't like that post because I can't be seen to like it in front of bosses or colleagues or whatever. But I love that you're talking about this. I love that you're, you know, stripping away the shame. And this is what I'm realizing. LinkedIn is actually a really good platform for that kind of thing. Because if you post anything about masturbation on Instagram or skinny dipping or whatever, which I have done, you you know, (laughs) that's blasé. People have done it. You know, that's fine. But LinkedIn, people are a bit more, ooh. And what I've realized is there's lots of women who are really uh, lurking and they just don't have the confidence to say stuff and say stuff that's controversial, even a, mm. a tiny bit controversial. You posted the other day about you thought personality tests were a load of rubbish and not good yeah. for company culture, potentially a little bit controversial, yeah. especially because I do them. It's part of my job, Lizzie. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought that was quite funny because um, that's the kind of thing that a lot of women wouldn't even dare to post. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. I think, I think it's almost like used as ammunition. And it's like, if you have an opinion, I think so many times it's perhaps almost turned around against you in some way, rather than just having a conversation. And, you know, 
I suppose what I'm trying to do is get people to think differently. Ultimately, I suppose when I'm which is creative thinking. By the way, yeah. Wow. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I'm always banging on about how creativity is not just poetry and painting. It's it's thinking differently. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to stimulate because I think it's really easy to kind of box ourselves into ways of thinking. And especially, you know, in the world that we live in, there's huge polarization in opinions. Um, and instead, what I want to stimulate is a really good conversation, like a, a deep conversation. I always joke that, I'm one of these people who I'm not very good at the hairdressers because I really hate those conversations where they're like, where you're going on holiday? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. please save me from this boring conversation. Mm. I, I am someone who loves going deep, deep really things. quickly. And that's why you're in podcasting. Yeah. That's why I'm in podcasting because I always say the podcast is amazing. My husband laughs at this because he's quite introverted in private. Why he married me, I have no idea. But uh, whenever we go anywhere... I'm literally talking to tr- strangers and I want to get straight into their childhood. And he's like, this is so inappropriate, you know, you know, you can't do that. And I was like, why not? What's the point? You know, and the podcast is great because we make it really clear that I'm really interested in, you know, what makes the person and the personal, the childhood and all of the quirky, weird stuff is what makes us us. And that's the stuff that I find fascinating. I don't want to talk about the bloody weather. Everybody in the UK wants to talk about the weather and where you're going on holiday. I mean, nobody's going really on holiday anywhere at the moment. But yeah, I'm absolutely with you. And I think actually, (laughs) I think we're right, Lizzie. I think more of us should have deeper critical thinking conversations and then the world might be a better place so we could change the world (laughs) I'm dancing already and I've been on your podcast like 10 minutes (laughs) no but that's exactly the point isn't it there's no point nothing changes by just having the same type of thinking all the time Mm. and I find it really stimulating when someone challenges me on something that I have a perception of absolutely Um, And I go, wow, that's really interesting. I love like kind of going deep on myself and going, well, where did I get that? Yeah, where's the conditioning? I'd be really curious. Yeah, love doing that. So I I find it for me as well, like a bit of a personal development journey when I see these things of, it, it helps me question my thoughts and perspectives and unconscious biases on things without even realizing that I maybe had them absolutely and I think the quote that always um I uh remember is I think it's Walt Whitman (laughs) Walt Whitman if I get it wrong that'll be really embarrassing but um I used to be really embarrassed if I had a strong opinion came out said it or wrote it in an article and then I spoke to somebody who made me really question it and I thought oh my god I'm wrong I'm actually reevaluating. and that thought piece that I wrote is a load of bollocks now what am I going to do it's out there in the world and then I realized that's that's evolving that's good that's questioning that's being curious a lot of people don't like admitting that and so I have this Walt Whitman quote which is we are multitudes and I always think that you know we are multitudes it's okay to change your mind it's okay to grow and learn in fact if you are rigidly touting the same opinions you had 20 years ago you are probably not grown you know and I know people like that and they're really rigid and I find them the least interesting people of all. I'll tell you who I had on my podcast recently that really made me think on this was actually, she's actually a school friend of mine and I try and find creativity in different pockets all the time. And she's actually training to be a minister. Wow. And I don't believe in God at all. 
I, I have massive FOMO. I think, oh my God, wouldn't it be amazing? Oh my God, I think. <laughs> wouldn't it be amazing to, to let go and let God and let him take it over or let her take over and just have that massive faith? I just don't have it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Anyway, I got her on the podcast and we obviously fundamentally disagree about life values. You know, I don't believe in God. She dedicates her life to him. And we had the most beautiful exploratory conversation because her whole ethos comes from the fact, and she said this in a quote, she said, conversation is to understand, not necessarily agree. Yes, yes. Love that. Whereas so much when we're in conversation or when we're on LinkedIn or when we're doing a thought piece, we are trying to persuade someone else of our opinion or we're trying to sell our product and we're trying to persuade them that they need it. And actually, wouldn't it be great if we could all stand back a bit more and be a bit more curious, like you say about, oh, where did that view come from? And where does it live in me? And question, question, question. Um, And one of the other things that I've really realize with women and I had these two amazing women on my podcast who've written a book called Brandsplaining Philippa and Jane oh I'm gonna forget their their surnames but they've written this book all about uh, female conditioning and you know how we were talking about women uh, being uh, nervous about having a voice and putting themselves out there she uh, they bring this back to so much research and so much conditioning around basically being taught to be a good girl been taught to be people pleasing and they track it throughout our entire lives and there's so many interesting case studies and I read that book and it's a business book but I read it like therapy (laughs) it's like oh my goodness I'm living in an advert I literally am and that's why we you know it's great to have women that are rebellious and and do go against the narrative because we are taught not to and that yeah. really holds us back, particularly in professional contexts, uh, mm. when we are wanting to express an opinion. And that's been so obvious when I've been researching this article for the Flock magazine with so many women who are desperate to speak, but they're held back. And they're yeah. cheering me in the DMs going, yeah, more talk about sex, more more taking away the shame for this, more like getting in your swimming costume, not caring and wild swimming and, you know, crushing the ice, whatever. Um, because I just got to the stage in life where I'm 40. How old am I? 44. I just turned 44. <laughs> I really don't give a toss. Uh, but that has been a massive journey of which included a stint in a mother and baby unit after I had my 13 year old. Um, so it's not been an easy journey and I wouldn't say finding your voice is an easy journey, but mm. I'm really glad that I've got here. Um, I've lost quite a few people on the way, but I think that's all part of it. And like you say, sometimes to create safe environment, like with your LinkedIn account, you need to take some people away because then you can find your voice. And I find my voice too much. I've not even listened to you for, <laughs> for a while. So, so you can fire some questions at me. <laughs> so I know when we were kind of emailing yeah. about this episode, yeah. we were like, what is it going to be about? Because yeah. obviously this kind of theme this season is all about those 
conversations that people are having that they're you know not really having do you know what I mean Mm. like there's an elephant in the room and everyone's kind of like so I kind of want to bring the elephant in okay what elephant are you going to bring in so that's my question to you is what elephant when it comes to like water cooler conversations the things we're talking about at the water cooler or in the slack channels should I say at the moment um remote working Mm. you know what's the one thing when it comes to company culture and the way businesses are presenting their culture especially at this yeah. past year like that's kind of you know that you kind of want to call out that you're like come on what is this about <laughs> yeah well obviously I have a podcast on creativity and that's creativity and innovation is what I feel really strongly about and I do believe that if we had more people with creative thinking and thinking differently we would be solving the world's problems a lot better so I feel like it's the absolute most important thing and you know people like the World Economic uh, Forum and um, LinkedIn recently do these lists and say oh yeah creativity is the top of the list we want creative thinkers we want people that are different but as a as a very creative person myself and I do I'm part-time employed for Visit Karen Gorms um, I can see how it is really easy for companies to say that and really hard for them to mean it and create an environment where a creative person really feels like they are part and they belong. I have written about this recently because I watched a fantastic keynote um, speech by Margaret Heffernan and she's written a book called Uncharted and it's all about the skills that we need uh, going into the future and creativity is obviously right at the, the top um, curiosity lots of different things but basically she said at one point I absolutely love this she said we need more weirdos in corporate culture we need to embrace our weird companies are saying oh we want creators we want creativity we want innovation but they're not embracing the weirdos what's happening is people are coming in who are weird and quirky and creative because that's what they say they want and then they're having to um, conform and mold themselves into the culture And I just feel so strongly and even, you know, myself, I can see myself doing it, you know, diluting yourself. It's like people in advertising. I write about the advertising industry quite a lot. And people in advertising talk about how they have a fantastic idea. But once they get to the end of the client process, it becomes a watered down, diluted, beige version of their original inspiration. And I think we do that with people. We beige them down. And my my one of my favorite mottos that I made up, so I'm quoting myself now, is um, (laughs) be be brave, not beige. I love that. Yeah, and so I think that to me, that's the big elephant in the room because I have seen, I've interviewed, I've been in the room, I've been on briefs where they say they're taking you on because of your creativity and your weirdness and your quirkiness and you're thinking differently, but they don't actually want you to be that. They don't want you to be weird. And Margaret was saying in her keynote, corporates need to find a way to embrace the weird. And I also interviewed um, Amy Keane on my podcast, who is a voice of LinkedIn and a writer and works in advertising. And I remember on her podcast, she said she's hugely creative. She does advertising. She writes plays, sitcoms, musicals, like, you know, real poly creative or what they call them. And she said the key to being creative is, uh, creative is embracing our weird, is channeling our weird. She said it's like imagining you're having a seance with your weird self, which I love. I love. And, and <laughs> I think what I, 
have realized doing this LinkedIn feature is what I really love doing is trying to encourage people to embrace their weird and their quirks. But it's so hard because we live in a corporate culture where it's all about conforming and it's all a lot of bollocks, if you ask me. So that would be, that would be, you know, stop leaders, stop talking bollocks about creativity and actually (laughs) start creating environments where people can be weird, Mm, you know? mm, Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I totally what do you agree. think about that? Cause I've ranted at you and this is supposed to be a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I think it's really, um, I think like you say that there, there's a lot of aspirational values that are touted by companies that think they're, you know, creative or, you know, environmentally sustainable is the, the latest like buzz term. Mm. And the, and it's, and it is all just culture washing. It's like they're Absolutely. saying one thing, but totally doing a totally. different thing. And, and I think the Pride Week was a good example recently. Oh, let's just slap a rainbow on because that's really creative. And we'll talk about a couple of people that are gay in our, in our company. And that's <laughs> their creative thinking around Pride Week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen so many amazing memes that were kind of like, oh, all the companies who have spoken about Pride Week, but their contributions to actual policy making and um, supporting charities like this much. Yeah, it's like International uh, Women's Day. And it's like, uh, what was it? Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. It's like, oh, let's pay attention to this for two minutes and make a big deal and send out press releases. And obviously, as a freelance journalist, I get um, a lot of press releases. And again, so much bollocks being spoken. I'm sent from big corporates, particularly, who talk about all these mental health initiatives. I remember one in particular. I'm not going to say who it is because I'll probably get sued. But it's a big, <laughs> uh, well-known corporate accountancy firm. And they were sending me uh, this release about how amazing they were for mental health and all these initiatives. And at the same time, I was interviewing somebody off unattributably for a piece for an HR title about how she had led an initiative, a mental health initiative at this um, company. And she was treated abysmally. So she did the the headline, we're so good at mental health. And then she was, you know, she was sacked in terrible circumstances. Uh, I won't go into it because she might be identifiable because she's done quite a lot of work around it. But it just hit home to me that dichotomy between I get a press release and if you get that on face value, you might go, oh, a nice company. They're really good, aren't they? And then on the other hand, I'm actually speaking to a human who has been living the crap experience of being in that company. So, I mean, people say, oh, journalists are so cynical. And I'm not a cynical person. I'm actually really optimistic. But because of that, Mm. there's so much PR spin out there that it's really, really hard to actually believe a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah. It comes across so inauthentic and transparent. And I think that's the that's the crux of it. And I don't understand who at these companies is going, yeah, that's a really good idea. (laughs) It's like, who, who is being the yes people around these boardrooms and going, yeah, that, that looks great. That sounds great. Well, again, it's the whole um, conforming culture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's all the, the yes men and yes women. And that's why, you know, the weirdos are more likely to say no. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think kind of stifles the creativity in most kind of cultures? Is there a certain like 
way of being that they mm. are or is there anything that like really stands out for you that you think this is really stopping real creativity do you think there's almost as well like too much caution to be different from companies that they kind of are trying to follow this very linear idea and trying to look really seamless and they're kind of almost afraid of, of stepping out and being different well I think they definitely are afraid I mean every brief practically that I've had or an advertising industry is a really good example of if you speak to super creative people like I was saying like Amy Keane talks about this um how you're given a brief and you get really excited because they say they all say the client says we want to be brave and different and when it comes down to it you know you give them brave different ideas and it, it's it's shit scary sorry I didn't even ask if I could swear on your podcast yeah, you can okay sorry <laughs> you can um, so actually um it's really scary being different and standing out mm. uh, and sometimes it it can backlash and a lot of the time it can fail and so that's what's really hard but you asked me about what do you think the biggest barrier is and mm. I think it's actually really simple and it's not at all rocket science and it's not you know lots of people have said it before but it's really simple for me as a creative person that has lots of ideas and enthusiasm and I go into meetings and you know we've ahead of meetings it's like right we're talking about this everybody put their ideas forward and I have no problem thinking of ideas millions of them some of them are absolutely rubbish some of them are potentially like Einstein genius well that hasn't happened yet but it might <laughs> and what I find sucks my energy so much is you first of all it takes courage to come out with an idea particularly if it is a brave different one and laying it out on the table. It's like, I always compare it to, you know, having a baby, you know, putting it out there. It's really vulnerable time in your life. Mm. And then a colleague just goes, mm, well, that won't work because, you know, I don't, oh, that's not going to, no. they're like a real no but person. It's almost <laughs> like they're stabbing your baby. It's out there on the desk and they're like, stab, stab. I always talk about this and I always say to creative people, be very, very careful who you share your embryos with because there are lots <laughs> of baby killers out there. And the simple tweak with that would be, and, and lots of companies do do this, so I'm not, I'm not knocking all of corporate culture, but I've just seen it not happen a lot. Mm. A, a big thing is if you're doing something that's idea-led, just have an understanding that nobody in the room is allowed to say no, but you've got to mm. say yes. And, and that's a really established creative technique. It's, it's a really small thing, two words, but I always, I always in my head when, when a colleague or when somebody I work with, like a client or something's doing the whole no, but thing, I have Vicky Poller from visit uh, what was it not visit Britain that's um little Britain in my head going yeah but no but 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 and I'm thinking that in my head the whole time I'm like they are such a computer says no but that's also little Britain isn't it <laughs> computer says no computer says no and the reason why those are funny is we see them all over the place no but people and computer says no people right if you're in an idea generation mode and you genuinely want to come up with things that are weird and different and standing out you have to create an environment where you're not allowed no buts okay they come later so this is the bit where it's divergent thinking and you want 
people to feel comfortable and throw anything out there because from the extremes, you may get something that works in the mainstream. But what mm. I know happens to me as creative and I know that I'm not alone is I have all this enthusiasm, all these ideas. I put my babies on the table, they're stabbed to death. And then I look at them and I think, I'm not gonna do that next time. Maybe life is just easier if I just stand back a bit and I just agree with uh, the crap idea that we were talking about earlier and we just go, yeah, yeah, that'll be good, yeah, yeah. Massage a bit of ego, yeah, brilliant. But then you're not getting the best out of that person. I know yeah. so many creatives that suppress their creative souls because they just want to be paid at the end of the month. They've got probably stressful children. They might have had to homeschool and they've got loads on their plate. And they're like, do you know what? I've got this great idea, but it's just too much stress to put it out there. Because it's just dilute, dilute, dilute. And I think, you know, that is a tragedy. Think of all those babies that are being killed that could <laughs> change the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And it, like you say, it's it's only a small change that can stimulate that whole environment. It doesn't need to be like whenever I hear a lot of companies that want to do like change things that they, they have to go to sometimes these almost extremes. Yeah, of the which is so unmanageable, isn't it? It's... And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like it's in the small things that you're doing where you're absolutely. killing the culture. Like there's it's in the small actions or the attitudes or but don't the... you think that's about anything in life like there's been lots of books about this habit books like if you start yeah. small like diets or whatever it is it's the little incremental steps that you take that lead to big change so whether you're doing it on a personal level or whether you're doing it at a business cultural level you know you're absolutely right but says someone who sometimes just goes i'm not going to eat any sugar for three months or drink any alcohol but yeah, it doesn't tend to work. You know, it's hard to stick to. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's that, I think that's the thing. I think when people come to, especially over the next year, when you know, they're thinking, oh, we need to have this dramatic culture change because a pandemic has left us in ruins. It's, you know, they start thinking about these grand ideas about what their culture is going to be. You know, they look, they look at the likes of Google and all hmm. of those and go, oh, like, you know, like... It always reminds me of the little aliens when they see the claw coming down, like, ah, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it is not what you really want. That's the truth of it. Absolutely. And you did something uh, on your LinkedIn because uh, I saw about <laughs> language. Language yeah. is so important and so fundamental. You talked about why do we call it a probation period, mm, which is because yeah. um, that language, you know, that criminal prison type language probation period it sets the tone for yeah. culture and we don't realize I obviously I read English at uni and I love words and etymology and I love thesaurus.com and I'm really sad like that my children completely take the piss out of me but language is so important and I've just done a brilliant uh, reflective writing course for business by Alison Jones of um, Practical Inspiration Publishing she is fantastic uh, definitely check her out she's been on my podcast as well talking about this but she talks about she talks about metaphors so probation is is a uh, creates a, a a world in itself she was talking she quoted the words create worlds 
And so she was saying, and I got into a debate on LinkedIn about this. So if you're going into a meeting and you feel like it might be quite controversial, there might be conflict, think about what you're saying to yourself before you go in. Are you sort of taking a deep breath and going, this is like going into battle? Or are you going, mm, do you know what? I'm just going to kick the ball around. One of my LinkedIn contacts said that, Dave Stewart. So thanks for that, Dave. But the vibe that you get on the two phrases is really different yeah and you're putting that out there and that's affecting culture and I honestly believe to come back to the small things and this I mean I did a parenting course in lockdown because (laughs) that's how good I was at parenting but um, again the language you use with your children and the tone of your language creates their world yeah and it's small things but we really do have to watch our language yeah yeah totally it is and it's the it's those small things that have such the biggest impact and I'd actually did a blog post on this as well um I'll link to it in the show notes but Mm. how um there was a there was actually a, a study done on people getting um medical um so the basically it was all around how people were spoken to about um like medical issues that they had so for example being told they had cancer or something and all about in the language is how much it then impacted how they felt about it so even though the diagnosis could be life-changing and it's like you know this is in the way it was said to them and told to them had a bigger impact on how it felt and how much pain they felt I absolutely believe that yeah and it's just so fascinating you know that that words do hurt and, and that they ca- that kind of language carries with us for so long in oh. our subconscious you know it really like gets it seeds plants itself in there and it takes so much getting out like those are the wounds that are so much harder to heal absolutely absolutely yeah. um yeah and I I don't know I'm really interested in your thoughts on how you heal those because that's you know we all have them and there's all different ways I actually last night um I'm part of this great group called Project We run by Kelly Pietrangeli and um last night we did tapping I love tapping do you because I've never really done it before and I was like this is weird this is weird Susie embrace your weird (laughs) embrace your weird Susie Susie embrace your weird and it reminded me of I've seen the advert for Billy Piper's film rare beasts but I've not seen it yet and she's like running down the street tapping she's in a real stress and she's like I'm gonna try this tapping thing I am worthy I am worthy I am worthy and she's tapping every part of her face and obviously it's not working (laughs) (laughs) and I felt a bit like that last night I'm like I really want this to work but yeah (laughs) tell me about tapping and because that's a way that the coach was saying that you can access these things that are in the subconscious that consciously you might go right those words hurt me and they've lived in me so how do I get them the heck out yeah yeah definitely yeah so I I was introduced tapping a few years ago by my coach and um I was doing some kind of personal development work and I was like you know we've all got those stories those mindsets those Mm. deep self-limiting beliefs um you know we're all human we've all had experience that have somehow impacted our idea of self-worth and so she taught me this technique and since then I've also done a a tapping course as well because I was just so fascinated by it I was just like this is 
I found it really helps me. And I do 10 minutes every morning. Wow. As part of my morning routine, because I do feel like it majorly shifts my energy. So, so rewind to when you first did it, because this is my first experience. And I've got, yeah. you know, I've got the cynical journalist in me going, <laughs> this is a load of rubbish. How can you just like tap your face and feel different? And I've got the other part of me going, no, Susie, embrace your weird. This is, this could be really good for you. This could really help. Yeah yeah definitely so did you feel that at the beginning or did you feel this massive shift because I didn't feel a massive shift or anything maybe that's expecting too much I think you sort of like focus it on something that you're feeling or you're focusing Mm -hmm. around so I don't just like for example the first thing I always do is recognize how I'm feeling and try and link that back to any thoughts I'm having so you know if I've woke up in a bit of a funk Mm -hmm. and I've got a And I'm kind of like, oh, I don't really feel like me today. Like, what's that about? So I'll always try and get really curious and recognize what it is that's going on in my head. Like, what is it that I'm feeling so Mm. that I can really, and as well, like, how do I want to feel? Like, that's the kind of other way. Because I see tapping as like bridging the gap between how I'm feeling right now and how I want to feel. So for me, tapping is like an exercise to do just as like I don't know go, going on a run might be for people you know um but for me it's just something that especially when I'm, maybe I'm feeling anxious or I'm about to go on and do like a speaking slot like I'd just do something to kind of shift that energy make me feel a bit more comfortable do you find that's more effective than say meditation meditation doesn't work for me because often I fall asleep so I'm thinking actually I could replace it with tapping because if I'm tapping my face I'm not likely to fall asleep am I <laughs> I don't know see I see meditation differently to tapping because I find tapping really energetic and it really for me tapping I can't be sat down either I'm like pacing around the house doing it because I for me it's like it's like changing the energy whereas like meditation for me is a very like mindful calm still like being very present and aware with my surroundings whereas kind of tapping for me is like right, I want to get myself into this headspace, into this energy. Mm. Um, so for me, it's it's quite different. It's kind of like meditation is a grounding and tapping is kind of, uh, I suppose you could say like an EpiPen. <laughs> <laughs> like, boom, I will feel this way. <laughs> That's really interesting. Perhaps I will persevere with it. <laughs> It is a it is a u- unique one, and I, I like I know many people that don't really get on with it. They think it's weird, but it's the same. It's kind of in the same vein of talking to yourself in the mirror. I, I I've tried that, and that that doesn't really work for me. You know, it's kind of those those kind of subconscious workings exercises. Some people find it really easy to talk to themselves in the mirror, but I, that just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think one of the biggest impediments to me is my family because I have done that talking in the mirror thing, tried that, and I have done the tapping. And usually I'm interrupted by, I live with obviously my husband and two sons, and they just completely relentlessly take the piss out of me. (laughs) (laughs) And my my younger son did have a good point when I'm standing in the mirror going, I am calm, I am whatever I wanted to be saying it in the mirror. And Torin just around me and Mum, you're kind of lying to yourself because I can tell you're you're not you're not calm. And I was like, yeah, he has a point there. <laughs> and then that kind of yeah, that kind of broke that for me. But 
but yes you've inspired me again I will I will do a bit more on tapping and see where I get yeah definitely it's I I really enjoy it and I think it is like like we sort of were saying it's all about that mindset work and like shifting a mindset and I think that's what it's about is those underlying limiting beliefs and I'm a true believer that we also have those in our kind of in our work like personas that we absolutely yeah like we're going into those environments with a certain mindset so like you said earlier about you know the language of going into a meeting that might have conflict like if you have the right mindset if you're going into something with the right mindset then it can totally change a conversation totally change a meeting like change it in an instant and I think that's where people don't realize we we talk a lot about mindsets or limiting beliefs in our in our personal lives heavily but they're ingrained in our work lives absolutely and I I'm a believer that the two are linked inextricably linked the professional and the personal that's why like I'm currently working on putting together a course and it's all it's aimed at women and finding their voices because I've done such a lot of work on that (laughs) and um, clearly it's something people are already like emailing contacting me going can you help with this and I'm like oh maybe I should do something on that but um the thing that I've come to the conclusion particularly with women uh, because I feel like it's really hard to divide up female lives yeah. it might be for men as well but I feel it really strongly as a woman so I want to do a course that really acknowledges that and goes into the deep stuff with a view to the fact that if you sort it out inside when you go on the outside into a work meeting it's gonna really help and yeah. certainly that has been my experience because I have had a lot of therapy <laughs> As I said, I'd be spent some time in a mental health unit, which was uh, yeah, interesting part of my story and a part of my story that I used to just miss out before, before I became confident in my voice and my story and how to tell it. Before I realised that actually those markers are what makes you you, and they are a really important part. You can't just miss them out, and also it takes a lot of energy to miss them out to explain away that that sort of couple of years that you were a bit quiet or whatever. And it's really stressful doing that. And so what I really encourage people to do now is uh, actually I'm going to do in the course a, a bit where we we just all talk about our skeletons and the most vulnerable stuff and we shove them out there on the table and really look at how has that down led then to an up because if I hadn't had that down I wouldn't be sitting here in the amazing Scottish Highlands where I live in Cairngorms National Park uh, because that down led to a big re-evaluation of my life Mm. that has led me to here so it's seeing it in the context of a, a, a story arc like you yeah. would in fiction. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it's getting to that place where you can frame it into the larger scale of things, isn't it? Because we carry so much like <clears throat> social shame around these things. And for so long, it's like this almost like cultural taboo of, oh, don't air your do- dirty laundry in public, you know. Well, I've even heard that yeah. on LinkedIn. People are saying, don't say, like, try and hide your mum, you know. What? Try, try, yeah, there was one uh, of my contacts that posted on LinkedIn about how a recruitment consultant had told her not to stop the posts about her being a mum and to, to hide that part because it was still very much harder to get a job and all of this. 
to which wow. she I can't remember her name I'm sorry but to which she went bugger that and then put mother <laughs> in capital letters on her actual title <laughs> which I thought was quite good I love that but this is the problem isn't it it's like there's still these sort of cultural taboos in wider society of oh you shouldn't talk about that you know there's even talking of LinkedIn there's people who are like isn't this more for Facebook oh god yeah those people do you know what I mean there's this kind of oh so we have to be a different person when we're at work so none of this stuff exists while I'm in your office space like I'm just a robot I'm just here to do this like there's nothing else that has actually created this you know like all of these experiences have made me who I am currently in the workplace so yeah. you need to pretend those experiences don't exist. <laughs> yeah and I think we do that a lot we put on these masks and that's really what I feel so strongly about is helping people to, to the extent they're comfortable with taking off their masks because I don't expect everybody to be happy you know skinny dipping on LinkedIn you know that's not for everyone but you know if you want to do that you should be able to and if you want to you know not feel shame there's so much stuff at the moment even though we a lot of us can't go on holiday abroad there's still loads of uh, stuff about beach body ready because it's summer and that whole shaming around you know what you look like and to go back to this brand splaining book it does explain how many different layers particularly there are on women and increasingly on men when it comes to appearance you know like the rates of young men getting eating disorders is going up really worryingly and so we've we've got to do something about this we've got to let young people know that they don't need to put on these masks or conform and be these unattainable idols that Mm -hmm. some parts of society hold up yeah yeah definitely do you think on LinkedIn there's still this kind of fine line between people um because I mean I I love your stuff and I've got a few other people that I really enjoy following but then you find the odd kind of one where you're like that feels a little like where someone's trying to shoehorn something in do you know what I mean like they're putting something up that's kind of personal but then all of a sudden like they're shoehorning in like but get in touch if you need this and it's like oh what what are you doing like like I was I was there like you had me I was like oh this is such a fun post and now it's like oh and it's just become I think that's because there's still the I, I feel like LinkedIn is is at a bit of a changing point and I think people are really trying to find their feet on it and I think there's still this real pressure it's still seen as the professional network which let's be honest most of us are on to further our businesses get business which comes down to money and careers and blah 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 and that's still scary because a lot of people are worried that whatever they do will affect negatively their career or how they're seen Mm -hmm. um and so it's almost like those posts are a bit vulnerable and then they think, oh my God, why am I here? I need to like sell something. So come on, sell, sell, sell. And they haven't, it's almost like they've read, oh, it's good to be vulnerable on LinkedIn. It's good to share your personality. (laughs) And then they've got nervous and just bottled it at the end. It's almost like I can't put a post out there that's just about me because where's the sale in that? Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing I see is a lot of um, a lot of people just uh, diverting to other people's opinions all the time, sharing mm. what other people think, and that makes me curious. Like, I wonder. I'd like to know what some of my contacts think. And again, yeah. I'm particularly talking about really bright, uh, inspiring women doing interesting jobs 
quite often. Mm. And they're quite often they won't even write anything. They'll just share a link. Yeah. And I can think, what's what is all that about? That's like having they've been told they have to have a presence because that's something else that's come up in my DMs. Women feeling like they have to have a presence, but they're doing it in the low the the, the way that will attract the least attention. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Like having a presence, and I'm and again, like as you mentioned, is it something that we as women are struggling with because we have to be seen to be present in work so that we're not you know overlooked for the promotion or overlooked for is this this idea that we always have to be kind of shining and performing and presenting and saying hey we're here like don't forget to overlook you know yeah like, well I think this. I think I'm I'm aware that I do fall into this trap of kind of male and female and I do get one thing I do like about LinkedIn is I've got some really amazing male supporters, which I didn't expect because of some of the things I write, but they sometimes do nudge me politely and say, hey, I also support this or it's not just women. And so I am mindful of that. However, I think there is psychology differences between men and women. And I think that LinkedIn is still a very male um, professional environment. And I think men do find it much easier to shout about their achievements than mm. women and uh about being visible so i mean it's well documented isn't it that a woman tends to get on puts her head down gets on with a job thinks to herself if i just do the job well i'll get noticed and get promoted that's a load of rubbish because it's not about head down doing the work it's being good but then being visible about the work and making sure that somebody knows and actually I've got much more strategic about making sure people know that I've done this job hey everybody look at this job I did you know and and I think that's getting more common like I did know I mentioned Beth Collier earlier she did a post the other day and she started something like this feels a bit vulnerable but I'm gonna do it and she wrote like some client testimonials up and said you know clients have said this about me recently and you know that's the kind of thing we should be doing more because it is it's not equal there's still a lot of bias out there and women should be standing up and saying hey I did this uh, because mm. we all know how frustrating it is when you've done the work and someone else takes the credit for it, which has <laughs> happened to me a lot. And LinkedIn's great, for example, because you can you can go on there and you can go, you know, if, if you've done the work, but someone else is taking credit for it, you can go on LinkedIn and go, I just created this campaign. It was my idea. I did it. And, you know, whoever's taking credit or whatever can't argue with that because it was true. You know, they're going to look <laughs> like a right dick if they go, well, actually... I think you'll find it was my idea you know then that just looks ridiculous yeah. but then the problem yeah. is I guess you get other people taking public credit for stuff that's not theirs anyway that's another rabbit hole but basically <laughs> the point that I'm making is I think it would be amazing if all of us could talk about our achievements more mm. confidently not in a really icky way but just yeah. you know talking about it and being visible about it and what I would love to see particularly is women being more supportive of other women because that's another big bugbear of mine I know it comes from insecurity but the judgment and the bitchiness that still exists 
Yeah. And I've really been uh, on the brunt of it because I do believe that if you are a strong female who puts herself out there, like my husband says to me, I'm a bit like Marmite, you know, you either love me or you hate me. And that's fine. I am happy with that because that's being brave, not beige again. So it's all on brand. It's fine. But (laughs) to get to the point of being fine with it, I've had some really horrible encounters with women who I think it comes from not having done the inner work, not having processed stuff, having a lot of insecurity, comparisonitis. And that's where all the judgment comes from. I mean, I had a horrendous experience once with a woman who literally shouted at me in the street and I hardly knew her. And it was based on a version of an idea that she had of me. I later found out she had a lot of personal stuff going on, Mm. which helps me understand it, but not really excuse it. And um, that unfortunately, that, females holding each other back I just I get so frustrated because it's so unnecessary we've got enough to to deal with without that like come on sort out your shit do your work get out there support other people I mean come (laughs) on absolutely oh my gosh yeah I I know it's really funny that you mentioned that because it's something that I'm really passionate about and I always believe in collaboration and supporting other women even who are in my own industry and sector Mm. I'm always sort of shouting about you know wanting to collaborate with others and it's really interesting because I think sometimes it doesn't help when people don't almost challenge or address it either they're kind of like oh there's this thing going on but we don't really want it's a total elephant in the room and and this is exactly it and it's like no one's going no one's having the, the the tough uncomfortable conversation to say I notice you're being like this with me like is that you know what is okay coach about? me Lizzie coach me so I would like <laughs> to know I mean this has happened to me before as I said I think anybody listening out there if you put yourself out there especially if you do ridiculous yeah. things like I do um you will get backlash so I've been in that situation and I have not called it out because I'm like, how the hell do I deal with this? So how do I deal with it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm any expert (laughs) calling out this kind of female, female comparison. But I think when it just comes to down to and I have had it. So previously, many, many moons ago when I was actually employed (laughs) (laughs) back in those days, um, it was really weird. We had this kind of, um, we had a really good culture in one of my long time ago um, jobs. And it sounds weird, but as a team, we all got on. So all the women got on, all the men got on. It was a really diverse group of people. But we always, because we were really laid back, we used to have people coming into the office to have lunch. Like our partners would come in and Mm. have lunch with us. We were super laid back about who came in for lunch. Mm. Um, And this guy in particular, his partner would come in and she would be so rude to all of the women Mm. and would just like be really off with us. Like we'd never met her before, but she was really rude and just like, it was really bizarre. Anyway, um, she started to basically like almost troll the women in the office <laughs> to the extent <laughs> of- Friends and influence people. <gasps> yeah, to the extent of we, um, this guy was talking at a big conference event that we all had to go to. Mm. So we all had professional Twitter handles under the brand we were working with. And we were like, oh, doing a great job. Well done. You know, like all supporting our fellow colleagues, sharing the slides, you know, like 
she basically messages, direct messages on our professional Twitter accounts saying, take those pictures of my boyfriend down from your profile. She even calls the director to say how inappropriate it is that we're showing photos. It just gets so much worse. And then she starts trolling the girls on Instagram. So we were doing a Christmas party and all the girls, we got like Christmassy fired nails done. So we did like a bit of a Christmassy Instagram post. Like, oh, the, the girls are ready for the Christmas party. Like, here's what we've all done to our nails. She puts a picture up putting with her hands just going, mine are better than yours. <laughs> and I was just like, what is going on? Like, what is wrong with this person? So back in those days, you know, I kind of addressed it with um, our directors because I was like, you know, especially my team, because my team, I, I ran a department that were heavily women. So they were all like really like not comfortable when she came in. They were yeah. like, it's not very nice. Like we're trying to have our lunch and have fun. And we're just getting all these like dirty looks and stuff. Yeah, it really changes the energy in the room, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally changes the energy. So I kind of said to my directors, like, guys, you need to address this. Like, I'm not being funny. Like, they were two male directors. And I was like, you need to actually address this. I was like, I know she's not part of the company. I was like, but you need to have a word with the guy and kind of say, like, look, you know, when she comes in, this is happening. Like, you need to address it. You, we can't just keep ignoring that every time she comes in for lunch, like these things are happening to particularly to the female group of of colleagues mm. and they just they even noticed it to address yeah they refused to address it they refused because as well she stopped letting this this colleague of ours come on any social events he wasn't allowed to come to any social events so i said look the reason he's not coming is because his partner has told him not to socialize with us like she's obviously got major insecurities but I was like you mm. need to address it because it's actually impacting our work especially when this whole conference thing blew up I mean it was just entertaining but it was it like wow like the playground doesn't it sometimes you feel like you're back in the playground it was awful and it really annoyed me that the guys didn't do anything they were just like well we can't really do anything I was like no address it like speak up about it because it's impacting the culture it's impacting every how everyone's feeling um, and it's really funny. I actually, at the time, I had a personal blog that I used to write on. So it was much more kind of mm. back in the day when blogging was super on trend. <laughs> um, and uh, I wrote a personal blog about it, all about why are women hating on women? And I wrote about this whole experience, like not in a detailed sense, but in a very, you know, you know, mm. very sensitive way of like, this is what's kind of happened. And yeah. It's really, really sad that, you know, we can't support each other. and that this kind of pettiness is going on when yeah. we're all you know, adults. Um, and I actually got took into the office and told to take the blog down. <laughs> oh Even my God. It had no, had absolutely no, nothing to do with the like company I was working for. There were no names mentioned. It was purely. Do you know what? And yeah. You telling that story reminds me of quite a painful story of a very, very similar when I had a blog as well <laughs> so a while ago very very similar and exactly the same thing yeah. happened to me so I got desperate phone calls exactly the same thing I'd anonymized everything the message was all about why you know why is this woman doing this behaving this way there was no way you could know but I had the same and yeah. 
it was really difficult to deal with. And my conclusion was, I think that, yes, those directors shouldn't have asked for us to take our words Mm. down. However, I think it's part of this wider context that we touched on earlier that is in this book that I keep on promoting. I'm not on commission, (laughs) by the way, called Brandsplaining. And I think... For me anyway, there is something still toxic about silencing women that have uncomfortable opinions. And this is all pervasive. And it's the thing that probably upsets me the most. And it's the thing that the reason why I want to do this course on helping women find their voice, because that that period for me was quite dark, actually, because after I'd written I felt very strongly that I wasn't allowed to have my voice. So I wasn't allowed to address this woman directly I was told you're not allowed to because I was like I'd like to call it out directly and the best thing to do would be to get in front of her and say hey what what is it was can we talk about this what's this about and be curious about it that was what I wanted to do I was told no you can't do that so then I vented it because we have to express ourselves and for me for you we have to and I love the quote by Edith Ager which is um what is it I'm gonna get it wrong now um expression is the opposite of depression so I was in the situation yeah. where I was upset and I know for me, I have to express that. I have to get it out and I wasn't allowed to do it in the way that I wanted to. So I did it in my own personal blog. And mm. I do think it comes down to women are still silenced on so many issues. And I see it. Um, I see it in my personal life. I see it in my interactions with my family. So I'm um, the eldest of three and I've got a brother and a sister and uh, I don't think it's through malice. I think it's societal. Yeah. Girls are silenced much more than boys. Now, you might have some men listening to this going, that's a lot of bollocks. She's just a bitter woman, whatever. Um, and I have questioned that many times, but I have got so many examples now. Yeah. And it's when, you know, it's very much, particularly if you look at your family setup. We've still put pressure on the girls to be the people-pleasing, pretty, compliant Mm -hmm. children. And you can see that everywhere. I've got two boys, okay, and and they are pretty feral. And I can (laughs) see that they have more leeway. Um, And it's, you know, I'm often jealous of people with girls, to be honest, because we go places and I'm like, oh, they're sitting so nicely and they're coloring in and they're asking their mom if they can do anything. They're asking if they can do their homework. But below that, you know, my boys, they question everything, they challenge everything, they negotiate all the time. It's bloody hard work. But then at the end of the day, I think, do you know what? I wish I'd been a bit more like that. Yeah. And we teach this from such a young age and it's almost like we need to teach ourselves how to do it because it's so uncomfortable when you have an uncomfortable, you you have a belief, you want to say something, you want to call something out, but it feels like everything's like your heart's going, you're blushing, you feel really strongly that you say it, but quite often we don't say it. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, I think to have another love in and congratulate ourselves more, I think (laughs) it's good that we had the balls to write something and express it. It's a shame that we were silenced, but we need to keep speaking up. And then hopefully I think more people are realizing 
conditioning and more people are realizing what's happening but there's still a lot of blindness and automatic yeah automatic sense uh silencing in fact I was having this conversation (laughs) just to we've done masturbation let's do sex so um I don't know if you've seen Netflix's uh sex life uh series there's been a lot of debate on that um actually on my Instagram I I got into a conversation about this because the basic premise of it is Billy the main character girl uh, is married to a phenomenally successful handsome lovely guy she's got two kids big house she's stay-at-home mom she's given up her psychology career to focus on the kids and she has the audacity to question whether that's enough and the whole series is about questioning the have it all in a new way, which I found really interesting because mm. she's craving more than that. She's craving a bit of wildness, a bit of herself back, a bit of identity, better sex. Because while her husband's amazing, he's not really doing it for her in the bedroom. And the narrative was really interesting and very divisive. I have to say lots mm. of people having different views on it, but my particular view is good on her for facing the truth of her situation yes she should inverted commas be very happy with everything she's got should be grateful for the hot husband and the lovely kids and the lovely house and the amazing life but something within her said this is just not enough and i want to go and have wild sex with my ex and i've got these feelings and most people suppress those but the whole yeah. series is looking at, you know, her. I mean, it was a bit of a strange end. I won't spoil it for people that are <laughs> going to watch it. But the whole narrative that it brought up, because some people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's doing that. She's an evil character. But, oh, that's interesting. We're demonizing her. Yep. We're demonizing yep. her. Whereas for me, the demon is the societal constructs that she's stuck in because... Yeah she has these feelings and people are judging her for having these feelings, but she has the guts to voice them. Whereas all the other, there's a really interesting scene where she's in the sort of preschool environment, which is quite a toxic psychological environment for me, that whole playground, mums standing around, cliques. It's never been one that I felt particularly good in. And you have this scene and the women are basically, the judgment is oozing from them and they are looking at this woman and they're like who are you to question and then what I think is amazing is she the Billy comes back with yes I'm questioning and that's making you look at some uncomfortable truths about your life because maybe if I question my life whether it's enough you might look at your fat unhealthy (laughs) unattractive husband and go actually I might not be that happy here (laughs) <laughs> and then what's great about that scene is her husband and they're, you know, they're trying to work things out. He comes in and he just lambasts the women for their judgment because he can see it in their eyes. And he says, mm. she's a good woman. She's, she's working some shit out, but she's a good woman. So that was my take. I yeah. thought, and then it was really interesting to see other women and men just demonize the main character for having those thoughts. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. I can so relate to that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is it's that kind of uncomfortableness and and it's it's bloody brave to face those things and say it out loud like that takes a lot of courage not to just play along 
it's so much easier to play along. And in my personal and professional life, uh, there is something that I has become a pattern of my life. I think it's almost like once you open the Pandora's box, it just keeps yeah. on giving. <laughs> so it's almost like <laughs> I live within the discomfort of the uncomfortable question. And yeah. I'm always asking it. So yeah, yeah. Um, it has led to some really, some broken relationships and mm-hmm. friendships. And I am definitely too uncomfortable for some people. And I, <laughs> I won't, you know, because I just, I won't play along. I won't play nicely no, I, anymore. Yeah. If you're not like adding to my life, oh, that sounds really mercenary and it's not quite as rigid yeah, yeah. as this. But if you're not yeah. adding to it, if you are that person in the room that is changing the energy for the worse consistently. Yeah. Um. I generally won't want to be in the room with you unless I absolutely have to be. And yeah. I would question the situation that, under which we absolutely have to be. So lots of yeah. people say, oh, but I have to. I have to because X. I have to because Y. I have to because it's my blah. I have to because it's my blah. You know, whether it be a work context or a home context. And I would really question that. And or mm-hmm. another person, I, I've just basically like <laughs> given you all my inspirational <laughs> books and people. But Dr. Shafali, I've followed throughout lockdown, who is a, she would describe herself as a wisdom teacher, a meditation teacher. And she came along for me at the perfect time because we went into lockdown. She started doing viral wisdom every day to help people out and she would do these 45 minute talks and uh in my very middle class way I used to sit in the hot tub and watch it (laughs) but anyway (laughs) um and I feel like she helped me so much because and she's just uh, published a book that I totally plan to read which is questioning all these constructs that Mm. we live in and we accept them and we play nicely we play along but she's like hmm hang on she's been divorced and there's a lot of shame around marriage that she felt so mm. she questions all of that she questions you know the relationships you have in your life just because everybody else is doing it and playing nicely why should you yeah you know mm. and if you want to call out the behavior of somebody who's very you know whether it be a boss or a, a best friend that you've had for 25 years, just because I think a lot of us are weighed down by those things. Like yeah. 25 years, I can't question that. It might lead to the end. It might me, lead to me being alone. It might. But do you want to play along nicely and not be yourself in a relationship? Or do you want to be alone mm. for a bit? Mm. And Shafali always goes on about don't worry about dying alone which I think is like really powerful because a lot of us are really scared of dying alone. You know, we stay in marriages, we stay in friendships, we stay in relationships because we are really worried about that. But if you take away that and you're okay with it, you can live a lot more free and a lot more true. Now, the other thing that I have had said about me, particularly from women, is that's really selfish. You should play nicely, Susie. That's really selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and that word selfish comes up a lot in relation to women, particularly mothers. Yeah. I get called selfish mother quite a bit because I will quite happily go wild swimming before I will look at the mess that is my house. <laughs> um, I haven't actually been called selfish to my face, but it's like you pick up on that. Oh, oh, 
oh right you're the tone yeah the tone not at all I should say not at all from my husband (laughs) he's like (laughs) he's always like go out live your life be yourself he's like be my biggest supporter on that but you definitely feel it Uh, and I remember when I had uh had my second child and I was really struggling a bit mentally uh not as bad as the first time but not in a great place and um I was breastfeeding (laughs) my baby was I think about eight weeks or something and my mother-in-law noticed that I was struggling and said listen I think you need to do something a break or something and uh what would you absolutely love to do uh more than anything and I'll try and help you make that happen and I was like I would really love to go skiing I would really love to not be sitting here breastfeeding. I would love to go skiing. And she was like, okay, well, I'll take the baby for a week and you're a toddler and you can go skiing with your husband, her son. I was like, oh, that'd be amazing. So went skiing, but oh my goodness, (laughs) the judgment that I got for stopping breastfeeding for going on a ski holiday. Oh my word. Because I was obviously honest about it. Yeah. You know, because everyone's like, how long did you breastfeed and what did you do? And, da, 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 da. and I was like, well, I breastfeed, I breastfed for eight weeks and then I went skiing. So I had to stop. And literally uh, also, I, I mean, looking back, uh, it must have been an absolute nightmare for my mother-in-law. But she's so <laughs> stoic and strong that she didn't actually say that. But I literally <laughs> was breastfeeding and handed her the baby. You know, we didn't really think it through that much. So the baby must have been going berserk. And she had to get him onto a bottle and all this. But I was like, off skiing. I was like, I am off. I think that's the most glamorous way to stop breastfeeding. <laughs> <laughs> you actually inspired me. <laughs> no, I had to go skiing. So. <laughs> I know people are listening to this going, oh my God, this girl is is sitting in a hot tub watching spiritual <laughs> films and then going off skiing yes I've got her in a box I know what middle class white box she is in <laughs> but the thing is at the end of the day you've got to do what you've got to do like you've got to do what makes you feel better and I think in whatever context that context that might be and do you know what you know I think it's one of those things where it's all well and good for people to be to be judging but it's you know until the the shoe is on the other foot and they've got to make some tough decisions what what would you rather be authentic to yourself or struggle continue going down that really dark path yeah um, and the thing that always i bring it back to my husband again is is really helpful on this he's he's a nihilist he's very um he thinks there's no meaning to life therefore how liberating is that and he also uh, we talk about the fact that it's only your life like you know you're mm. gonna die one day be facing death yeah. and are you gonna look back and think oh god I lived an awesome life that I wanted to live and I did what I wanted and he's always yeah. like Do you know what at the end of the day all that really matters is enjoying yourself like what is yeah. the point in not enjoying yourself it's a little bit trickier with kids because I found like I am inherent inherently selfish. I am. Um, and I found with kids that it's very challenging because you have mm-hmm. to put 
another before you. Not always because you can go skiing, obviously. But <laughs> um, generally, it's it's been a good teacher for me in that sense. Yeah. Um, but still, I come down to the fact that I'm going to be dying on my own. <laughs> Nobody else can die for me. And I want to get to the end of the life. And whether it's selfish or not, I don't really care. I want to get yeah. to the end of my life and go, I feel like... I had a good life. I did what I wanted. I do want to feel like I contributed. That's why I do my podcast. Yeah. You know, we don't do these things to earn money. I put my podcast yeah. out there every week religiously because I want to create something I'm proud of. And I want yeah. to put conversations out into the world that I feel might help people, might challenge mm. people, might cause some good. Yeah. So I'm not completely selfish. Like there is some <laughs> altruism in there, but I think too many, too many people I know like are, live their lives like complete martyrs and get to the end yeah. of it and I think I'm imagining that might feel quite resentful on your deathbed yeah. you might go oh I did so much for her and she didn't give a crap and so much yeah. for him and he's not by my deathbed and here I am dying on my own and rah! you know I don't want to be that person <laughs> and um Bronnie Ware wrote a brilliant book about the biggest regrets of the dying number mm. one number one not living true to yourself yeah caring yeah. too much about what other people think living the life that other people wanted you to live and she's yeah. got loads of case studies she worked in a hospice she watched it and I listened to the audiobook and I was like yep you know so even yeah. even things like with my marriage like we talk about we're very open about controversial views he's not had the vaccine and very against it I have and mm. so we have lots of very open, curious debates um, yeah. and we're always balancing, like we want each other to grow, but we know that sometimes that's uncomfortable, the other one, yeah. but yeah. we really embrace that. Yeah. And I, I bloody love that about my marriage. Like we're constantly, you know, like he's really into martial arts and jujitsu, something he got into five years ago, which I find quite, I found quite an uncomfortable environment at first. Mm. But because he encouraged me, you know, I've, I've done jujitsu classes, I go to the gym, it's really out of my comfort zone, but I feel like he really pushes me, not, not in a horrible way ever, just in a, yeah. I think this would, he always said to me, you know, you usually do sports and you can do them straight away and you're really good at them. <laughs> you won't be able to do this with jujitsu, you'll go in and not be able to do it and you'll be rubbish. And he said, I think that's a really good humbling experience for you, having someone else on top of you, you can't get out, you feel like you're dying. It's really good for spiritual growth. <laughs> He didn't say spiritual growth, actually. Russell, <laughs> Russell Brand says that. Russell Brand's really into jiu-jitsu. Oh, that's amazing. But it's true, though, isn't it? Like, we always have a choice. And I think that we forget that we have the choice in how to show up for anything or anything in our life, whether it is a relationship, whether it is for work, whatever it is. We, we constantly have a choice and we carry this, like, weight of expectation other so people's often, often. Other, other, other people's, people's expectations. expectations when actually we forget we can actually just disappoint them we can, we go, can oh, disappoint them I'm gonna take this off and I'm not gonna do that and I think and I, I think it's in the book and I I'm probably gonna get this this wrong it's with um oh which book is it it's um I'll have to remember it but there's a great quote and she said the best thing you can do the most liberating thing is when you let your parents down 
Oh, that's uh, Glennon Doyle in Glennon um, Doyle. Untamed. That's it, Untamed, like, couldn't come to me. So, yeah, and it's like, it's so true. Until you've kind of let them down and, you know, for their expectations of you, are you really liberated? Because you're kind of saying, no, that's this is such an inter- interesting question, which we could talk about <laughs> for hours. <laughs> I've definitely let my parents down, and that's been a key part along the journey of finding me. Yeah. And I can see with my own children that there needs to be a time where you um, let go of your parents' expectations of you Mm. and you become who you are. And I remember that bit in that book really clearly. And she says to her mum, Glennon Doyle, in that book, she says something like, um, you're absolutely allowed in my life if you do it with love and non-judgment or something. But if you're not going to do it with that, no. Yeah, and she's just yeah, really absolutely. puts the boundary up. Yeah, I love that. It's so, so powerful. So you've obviously think, had a similar experience, have you? Yeah, yeah. So I, funny enough, talking about the whole sex life thing. So when I was... <laughs> oh, million, say I, now! <laughs> yeah, so I had, um, I was with a, a previous partner and to everybody else it looked perfect. We had the house, um, engaged, blah, blah, blah. I got to a stage in my late twenties and I was like, this, this doesn't, this isn't for me. Like Mm. everyone's told me the story of buy a house, Mm. you know, get get engaged to your sweetheart. Like, this is what you should be doing. Like, and I got to that stage and I was like, yeah, this actually, this, this doesn't feel like me. This, I feel like I'm kind of doing everything that I should be doing. There's the word again. Yeah, should, should expectations. But this isn't me. Like I I'm not I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not happy. And you know, I did the I did the thing of walking away. Wow. And, that takes um, so much courage, I imagine. And yeah, I I you know, I got a lot of shit for it. <laughs> I got a lot of shit for it. I lost friends. Um mm. my mum didn't understand it for months months and months my mum didn't get it but Um, again you had that in you like like the character in sex life you had this truth in you so many people that wouldn't have the courage that you found yeah and then it it was really horrible and you know it was like I I went and lived on my own for a year and what was that like it was really liberating and it was like finding me again because mm. it was like for again not only do you have your parents expectations or your friends or all these kind of expectations that you're living through but then you know it kind of like dirties the water of who you are absolutely so it, so it felt like for me that year was like what does lizzie want to do how does lizzie want to paint the cottage like what, <laughs> what but does- do you know what's funny is that you get in that situation and you can get so lost i just interviewed it hasn't gone out yet but i just interviewed a woman who went to prison at 17 for 25 years after killing her husband she went to yeah she killed her husband went to prison for 25 years and came out and she went underwent a transformation in prison but she said she totally lost who she was at 17 Mm -hmm. she'd had a background you know these things are so inevitable when you hear them don't you like she had abuse she raped alcoholism drugs all these things were in her childhood yeah and she got to prison and she realized like she spent 10 years she said being a complete idiot and rebelling and being angry but then she was like well (laughs) this is my life. So I better face it. And she said that at that point, she realized she was so lost. She didn't even know her favorite color. 
And so she said she wrote herself in prison. She started writing a list of questions like, what do I like to read? What do I like to eat? What color do I like? Really basics. Yeah. And it sounds like you were sort of looking at the cottage and thinking, what color does Lizzie want it? (laughs) Rather than what color should I have it? (laughs) Farrow and ball, blah, blah, blah. It was. It's kind of that whole rediscovery. And I I grew so much in that time, you know, and it was so nice. Like, and I'd never been on my own. Like, this was the really weird thing. So I'm from a big family as well. I'm one of four. Mm. So mm. the house was always busy, always people there. And, you know, and I, I love that, but I'd never just been on my own just to be like, what is it that I want? What really gets me excited? Like, what what things do I want to be planning with my friends? Like, what adventures do I want to be going on? Not this kind of, because, you know, throughout the kind of relationship, as great as the guy was, like, there were so many experiences where I was just kind of like, yeah, I'll come to that. But inside, I was like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> I'm just here because I've got to make sure I'm smiling and enjoying myself. But actually, I fucking hate this. So I was like, you know. How many people out there will relate to that? I know and that's the thing like how like it baffles me and I, and then that's one thing and I just I'm one of these big believers I don't I'm very much like you said I don't want to get to my deathbed and be like you know ah, oh, I really regret this like for me I don't want any what ifs I want to do the what ifs I want to actually do it me too. I want to totally like go yeah I'm gonna jump off the cliff and see what happens like because why not totally um so I'm much more of that kind of mindset and I know that doesn't always sit well with people and I'm I'm like you I think people either love me or hate me and you're marmite too I think I'm marmite you know <laughs> and it's it's one of those things but I just think well do you know what at least I've did it on my terms like Absolutely. like no one else is telling and how me how do you feel now like you've been through I mean massive respect to hearing your story because I know other people that felt those feelings and have pushed on Mm. and they're not happy now I mean you never know other past sliding doors unfortunately you can't do a Gwyneth Paltrow but um how do you feel now having been through all the shit and come out the other end do you feel you're fundamentally changed do you feel you're happier like yeah yeah, I do. I feel happier. I feel more confident in all of the decisions that I make, um, that they're my decisions that are not influenced by anybody else. And I also feel a little bit like I've gone gone on the other side and it's so liberating. It's so, so liberating. And, you know, I've had friends who kind of gone through similar situations, but again, like they've gone back, you know, and, and they don't look happy. And I'm just kind of like, it looks so awkward and uncomfortable and forced. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't have any of that. I literally don't. And and I will say to, you know, my current partner, bless him, you know, I'll say, I know I'm a little bit um, <laughs> like sometimes I'll be like, I know I just speak my mind. But I would much rather have that because I didn't have that in my pre- like previous relationship in that sort of long term relationship. You know, I'd be very kind of submissive and go, yeah, yeah. OK. And what I was thinking, I would just kind of push down. And I see like I'm you're quite a bit younger than me. I think I'm 44. So uh, I've been when did I get married? Uh, 30. Uh, we met at 20. And I'm getting to that stage where there are a lot of marriages struggling. 
And mm. the main thing I hear from people is what you've just said. There are there are unsaid things hanging in the air yeah. and they're like elephants in the room and yeah. they're oppressive and they change the energy and they're constantly unsaid things. Yeah. So my, me and my husband are like the opposite. I, I've got a fear of that. So it's like no filter. I can say yeah. anything. So uh, and also, I would say now, looking back to that time, I mean, when I was, uh, I had postnatal and prenatal depression, uh, I was, you know, carrying a baby and suicidal, which is a pretty shit combination. Because uh, not only have you got the guilt of I'll kill myself, but you're also thinking about, you know, you have these weird thoughts about killing a baby inside you, which is just horrendous. Yeah. And um, I think that that was the hardest thing I had to give voice to to my husband like finding the words to tell him that that's what my mind was thinking my mind wasn't well obviously yeah, yeah. but giving voice to those and having the non-judgment from him and the unconditional love and the mm. you know I just remember him you know holding me and saying if the most important thing is you must keep saying Mm. every thought you must keep telling me every thought you must you must yeah. you must you must air these thoughts and I think when you've had that you know other thoughts yeah there's nothing that phases <laughs> our relationship you know yeah. um I think it's quite funny that quite a few people you can't even in a marriage say oh my god have you seen the new neighbor he's really fit you know you can't <laughs> say that to your husband that's inappropriate whereas you know that is just like <laughs> something I wouldn't even think twice about um but there's I think in marriages uh and any relationships I suppose the more unsaid things that hang in the air I find the more difficult it is for me to stay in that room yeah yeah and I think the more toxic it becomes and just yeah so so heavy and I think like I say it's, it's no matter what relationship you're in whether you're in a uh, a home environment a work environment like all of those unsaid things just fester and although the difference is is how you deliver that because I'm just thinking like that might sound a bit irresponsible what I've just said because my husband <laughs> and I have known each other for like 25 years and I know that I can say things completely unfiltered unfil to him yeah. whereas obviously if you started doing that to your boss it might not be advisable what I've learned is there there are ways of of still staying true and saying what it yeah. is Absolutely. But you all, yeah. but but the uh, there's very few people in my life. I'm I'm very lucky to have a couple of really close girlfriends as well that I can speak unfiltered to. But I've noticed mm. that actually there's not that many people in life that you can speak unfiltered to, and that's Absolutely. okay and that's normal. I listened to a brilliant yeah. podcast by Rongan Chatterjee the other day about exceptional relationships. Really good podcast, and it was all about you know what is an exceptional relationship and I think mm. the authors of this book were saying if you've got three in your life you're doing pretty well yeah yeah definitely yeah that sounds about right I always say that I kind of count my absolute closest unfiltered about maybe five maximum five on my hand of oh, you're doing who pretty are, well who, who I could really go to and go oh my gosh <laughs> But I think that comes from what I've been through because because of that experience, I quickly learned those who are not there for those. Which is so useful, isn't it? Like all the, all really the farewell weather friends just disappear and they come back and that's fine. But I know they're fair weather friends. So I like I shout yeah. out to, to two of my absolute stars, like Eva and Claire are two of my very best friends who through that darkness 
just stood firm most people couldn't take the darkness because they were like oh but you're usually the bubbly fun one that's like you know drinking and dancing you know and and who's this depressed suicidal bag of darkness you know most people ran for the hills and it was phenomenally lonely I mean unfortunately Eva and Claire didn't live near me so I even had I even had a befriender who'd come and visit me once a week from uh, Homestart Charity. Shout out to them because they were pretty amazing. Um, they used to send me Jean because they were worried that I had no friends because I lived in a very um, middle-class, materialistic place mm-hmm. and I recently moved there. So it was pretty difficult. Yeah. Oh, um, but I think, you know, looking at it now, of course, I'm I'm mentally really good now so I can look at that afresh. And I do think it's a bit of a cliche to look back and go, I'm so glad that happened. I mean, it was bloody horrendous. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah. And I don't know whether, I definitely wouldn't want to go through it again. And I don't, you know, <laughs> hopefully I won't. But um, it's gifted me so much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can totally understand that. It's, yeah, it's, it's strange when you go through those things at the time, like you say, you know, I, I remember so many conversations like my cousin was really supportive at the time when I was going through sort of my transition and you know she's like let's just go run away and join the circus and I was like <laughs> yes <laughs> like and it's true because you know the, the judgment that comes with from some friends and you know because it looked all perfect there was that judgment of but you've got everything like oh you need to watch sex life and come know, back to me and what you think I'm you've really got interested. everything like how dare you say no to this you know I had friends who were struggling to find a a partner or struggling to date and they were like but you've you've literally got everything you know there was that real like underlying judgment and and that was that was really hard yeah and you know how can you be so entitled and yeah so entitled but it's like it's a real measure I think of self-worth to be able to look that in the eye and be like no I am worth more than just settling yeah you know and I don't want to look at my life and go oh I just settled <laughs> I want to look at my life and go, it's amazing, big, juicy, creative, amazing life. And I had such fun. And, you know, that's that's the point of it. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. life has no meaning, why don't we just, <laughs> you know, crack open the fizz now and dance on tables and to eternity oh. and beyond? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and of course, I should say, way. you can have a mocktail. It doesn't need to be alcoholic. <laughs> Oh, well, on that note, Susie, I suppose we better wrap up before this becomes <laughs> an epic podcast. <laughs> I have loved the tangent that we have been on this morning. Thank we you. We have been on a massive tangent. So <laughs> I hope. Good so luck much. editing that. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for all your um, recommendations. I'm going to have such a long juicy list of podcasts books oh god another one please please shut up my my show notes are going to be a downloadable pdf (laughs) i love shouting out to good stuff though other people's content has helped me so much so i love shouting out yeah. So I won't apologize for that massive no, PDF you're going to send out. <laughs> but thank you so much. No Susie. problem. Thank you for having me on. And um, for those of you who have loved listening to Susie, I will obviously link Susie's podcast 
in the show notes and go follow her on Twitter and LinkedIn. Oh, not really on Twitter. It's probably Instagram is the best thing. It's at Big Juicy Creative Living. There you go. Instagram and most definitely LinkedIn as well. (laughs) (laughs) If you want some entertainment. So thank you so much, Susie. No problem. It's been a joy. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.